Hi, my name is Eric. And I'm Shalila, and this is Are You Still Watching? A podcast about movies and their place in our culture. So today we have a kind of a, I feel like a weird episode for us. I, I guess that's not true. We did an episode on the Mighty Ducks and Snakes on a Plane. So All we do is weird. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess that's not true. Here's the thing. There still aren't movies coming out in theaters in many swaths of the world. So we're just kind of doing things that aren't necessarily recent. And uh, last episode, we talked about serenity and locked down. So that's how things are going over here in our podcasting world. Um, but that led us down a strange path of connecting serenity to the only movie that it opened against in January of 2019, which was uh, the kid who would be King, which I don't know if anyone saw. I don't know a single living human being like that. I'm aware of that saw this movie when it was in theaters. I mean, do you know anybody who watched this? I mean, I live in London, so theoretically, people I pass on the street must have seen it, but nobody that I know. Right. Somebody must have. Well, you missed out. That's the that's the yeah. TLDR Big of this time. episode. <laughs> you missed out. Uh, so yeah, today's episode is on The Kid Who Would Be King, which is a uh, uh, very, like, I guess, small film, for lack of better description. Like, it's just a movie that I feel like nobody really knew about. Uh, well, that's not true. Its trailers were in theaters constantly for a long time. I feel like everyone saw the trailers and wrote it off as another kind of middle school, uh, you know, whatever, just bad movie. Um, but it is a fantasy movie uh, written and directed by Joe Cornish from Attack of the Block and um, uh, Ant-Man, actually. I think believe he co-wrote Ant-Man. Um, and it is a British... Uh, American movie about a uh, kid played by Andy Serkis's son, which mm-hmm. we'll, I'm sure we'll get more into, uh, who is the, you know, uh, most recent descendant of King Arthur and must take up the sword and become, you know, King Arthur, essentially. Uh, classic sort of just very, very simple, like kid fantasy, you know, uh, uh, hero kind of things, at least on the surface. And again, we have no other reason to do this other than we talked about it in relation to Serenity. Uh, but it's because I told Shalila that we had to do this because I watched this movie on a whim last year while bored and kind of fell in love with it. Like it was just so much better than anything I would have expected it to be. Um, and I'm sad that it doesn't get more attention because I think it deserves it. So that's what we're talking about today. Yes, indeed. I also want to add that it is a movie released in 2019. We didn't say that. But it's good to know because I think the historical slash political context that it was released in is one of the most important things about it. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Like I said, this is a movie that on the surface seems like the standard fare. Like the reason that I'm sure you all skipped it is what it does look like. Like I will admit that. that. That can't be ignored. But boy isn't is it not is it just not at all what you think it is <laughs> uh so i had already seen this movie i had actually not seen it all the way through to the end so um i didn't see the final like whatever 15 minutes i think i don't know whatever life gets in the way um but i watched it all again for this and was delighted the second time around like it it did not lose any luster for me uh but since this was your first time watching it i would love to hear your thoughts on it shalila yeah, I'd love to give them because they're all so positive, actually. I am glad that we're doing this for multiple reasons. 
first off, we we watch a lot of movies that are just not good on this podcast, and then it's just us sitting here and talking about <laughs> that they're not good, and then everyone's sad, and then we're sad. But I'm really happy because I just finished watching this movie, and it has the rare quality of just filling you with unbridled childlike joy and happiness, which is just super not an emotion I have felt in a long time. <laughs> so I'm really happy. It, it was It's such a freaking good movie. And we'll get into some specifics, I'm sure, that we really liked about it. But I'm glad that you described it as a movie that you wish more people had talked about or wished more people knew about or paid attention to. Because I think the last time I had that exact sense about a movie was when I watched Shazam in theaters. And I was like, wait, wait, guys, you're all sleeping on a really good, wholesome movie that's obviously a little, like, weird. But that's the point. It's wonderful and weird. And we should all pay attention to it. And obviously all of my pleas to get everyone to watch Shazam fell on mostly deaf ears. But I will try again with this one because they're both really wholesome. So yeah, my impressions are overwhelmingly positive. Very sweet movie. We'll we'll talk more about it. Yeah. So I I don't really know where where you want to start with this. I guess what I want to talk about a little bit is, is first just like why... Before we get into the what this movie's actually about and the many, many, many themes it is exploring, mm-hmm. um, I just want to talk about like why I why it clicked with me overall, um, because it is again like it looks like I guess I don't know how else to describe it. It just looks like any other movie from the like. Uh, diary of a wimpy kid class of movies that have come out in the last 20 years. Like just the things that I feel like we all sort of saw a little bit, you know, uh, uh, Bridge to Terabithia, um, like anything in that realm where most of the time when you're looking at the trailer, you're like, okay, yet another kid yet another movie. That's like a, a, probably a Harry Potter clone of some sort about the magical kid who and the shoestring budget that paints the adventure that they go through and it's going to be filled with child jokes and it's probably going to be annoying and it'll be the movie that like the parents have to put on for the kids and then they're going to be regretful of that you know like it's a dvd in the background and they wish it wasn't playing kind of a thing um and it just isn't like from the get-go the movie sort of bucks any expectation that i had of that both in terms of its complexity Uh, But the biggest thing that stands out to me is the kids in this movie act like kids. And what I mean by that isn't like they are childish, but they're not childish in a way that feels condescending. Um, Like the thing that stood out to me most is uh, the the protagonist uh, has a a, uh, best friend uh, named Betters who in I feel like any other kids movie he would be the like kind of annoying fat friend who farts. Yeah. Like, that for sure. would be the joke would be like, Oh, silly bumbling fat friend. And here's a bunch of fart jokes. And, and because that is what those movies tend to do. And it just doesn't, it doesn't even contemplate painting that like that picture at all. Um, you know, the, 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 the bullies in this movie, the uh, uh, two two bullies who are basically the original antagonists um, who are 
you know, very classic, like, well, for one very specific reason, not at all classic, but um, uh, classic in the sense that they are just classic, like, school bullies. Like, here we go, hanging the kid upside down, getting the lunch money kind of a thing. And again, in any other movie, it's going to be like a... There's really nothing else to them. They're, they're just bad. They're just mean because people are mean and that's it. And instead, it really enforces this like level of emotional empathy on their part that is like between the two of them and then toward our protagonist. Like there's like a, a strange level of commitment that the two of them have to each other that at times almost feels loving, but not in a romantic way. Like just again, things that are not normally present. Um, let alone the actual way the story plays out, like the actual plot beats and the editing of this movie is far more complex than I would expect from another movie of its like. Uh, it takes turns that you do not expect. Um, it, it demands something of you, like it demands you to kind of understand a little bit of, of uh, the thematics they're going for and the emotional journey of the characters as opposed to the plot journey and that i think was my Absolutely. favorite part um i i, I sort of don't want to spoil too much of this movie because i really want people to watch it but i will say this uh it is very strange to me and what stood out to me the most when i first watched it and again on the second watch it is remarkable to see a movie whose second act ends with the especially male protagonist especially young male protagonist needing to emotionally process in order to move forward and i don't mean like like not emotionally process like in any other way another movie might do but like in other words the only way that this character can actually proceed forward into the realm of success is to be emotionally honest and vulnerable and like engage in that and engage in the hard work it takes to do that completely unrelated like it, not unrelated but like it's killing the thing with the sword does not solve the problem in a very classic fantasy sense or like a Harry Potter sense, like, you know, uh, 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 killing Voldemort doesn't actually solve the problem here. Instead, Harry needs to go to therapy. Like that's, that's like the yeah. thing that occurs. And in this be movie. honest about things to his friends. Yeah. It's fascinating. Really loved that. Yeah. I completely agree. Do we want to briefly give a sense of some of the beats of the story, but without spoiling so that we can talk in a little more specific detail about things we like? Well, maybe we should just do this. How about this? Everything we've said thus far, like if this isn't enough to convince you to go watch it, here's your pause moment. Go watch it. I, I, I don't. I mean, tell me if you disagree, but I think we're giving this like a big recommend. It's on HBO Max. Go watch it. It's a great one to watch with family of like any age group, especially if you have kids, obviously. But this is also like a, oh, I'm still quarantining with my parents and we can't watch a lot of things on HBO together because it'll lead to awkward conversations. This isn't that. Like Top of the list. Totally fine. Watch it and then come back. So now I feel like hopefully that's enough that we could go forward of what we actually want to talk about. So take it away. Yes. First of all, completely agree with everything that you said. It is so true that it's rare how vulnerable and wonderful the movie is and that it really does implore you to empathize with each of them, each of the main characters the four kids, two younger and two older as people, but also as kids, you know, the, the, the emotions that they would absolutely go through as young children and not just children who are, you know, excited but scared to dive into a big fantasy epic, but kids who live very much in our modern world 
and have kind of the same worries that we do about, you know, their mom needs to know where they are and uh, uh, how do we get from A place to B place uh, if we don't have money to pay for the ride and that kind of stuff. And I think it just, I think we can probably construct or we can try to construct some kind of basic theory by the end of this as to what makes movies like this work. But I would propose a starting point, which is that there's two there's a spectrum of two things that you need to strike a wonderful balance off that's very difficult. One is to retain, on one end, to retain that sense of wonderful childlike wonder that that makes you want to explore new things and soar and believe in, you know, a demon coming to life and blowing fire on top of a school building. And the other sense is keeping it grounded enough that you don't feel like it's lost all its sense of connection to reality where you don't feel like the studio just wanted to try something or this was obviously written by adults who do not care what kids these days go through. And I think this movie had has done a really good job of striking that balance. It's a very simple thing to say, but a very difficult thing to do. It's kind of like the Bechdel test where you're like, oh, surely they yeah. know how to strike that, but they don't. And I think that's what dooms a lot of movies that try to tell meaningful tales about what kids go through by connecting them to something loftier because they just lose the sense of groundedness or they lose the sense of loftiness. And that is a challenge. But I think on top of all of this, the most wonderful thing about this movie is it's just so sincere. Like no matter how cynical you may be towards the world, especially right now, when it's just hard to feel openly happy or even open emotionally to anything, I don't think it's possible to watch this movie and not just think, oh, you know what? Actually, things can be good. Like things and people can be good. And I can just not, I can suppress the part of me that wants to say something snarky and I can just enjoy this and other people can too. And we can all enjoy it together. I feel like everything I've watched recently has just been kind of sad or boring or both at worst. Even the really good movies I've watched recently have kind of just made me sad because I haven't watched enough, I think, kids movies recently. But I don't want to cry all the time. And this was a really nice yeah. reminder that we are, we really are all kids inside and we like watching movies that are just fun and wonderful and explore a sense of fantasy. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think the thing that really stands out to me about that sincerity component that you touched on is it's sincere without being saccharine. Like... And yeah. I, I think that's what loses me in other movies like this, or frankly, even some adult fare, right? Like it's like, I, I, I don't know why, but the, the first thing that my mind goes to here is like the old Captain Planet cartoons, which get made fun of a lot, and rightfully so, where you, that and um, I think you and I were talking about this recently for reasons I don't remember, but uh, things like the old like, um, like Yu-Gi-Oh! anime things like that like old like children's commercial cartoons that are meant to sell something where every episode the end result like the thing that solves the problem is the power of friendship right and like they don't just they don't just reference it they explicitly say it (laughs) and it often like evokes something like uh you know a magical symbol or something and it's like well if you just friendship the problem way then friendship will friendship you for friendship and like right. that that's essentially what the the dialogue of those products even become and this to me felt like such a turn on that idea of like it's not that it doesn't hold similar messages but it's it doesn't feel like a movie that's trying to teach a kid a lesson 
there's no lesson to be like it's not that there's no lesson to be learned but it's not setting it's not out to be an Aesop fable right it, it's just it's sort of it's like it's teaching not really teaching it's like it's telling a story that ends in a note that a kid already knows it's like what kids already know to be true and it's exploring that idea and kind of bringing it forth in a way that they might in the real world like how they might actually process that through imaginative play or whatever um and not in a way of like just solve your problems through the power of friendship and love like it it has no interest in being saccharine about it um and i really loved that you know it's and it wasn't easy like it doesn't it doesn't really let these kids get off the hook for things like it's it's you know they it puts them through the ringer i i yeah i don't know it just Absolutely. really yeah, I think you really you you touched on the the joy of it too, right? Like it's actually just fun to watch and enjoyable to watch, uh, which is obviously in direct contradiction to um, or contrast rather to our last movie, which was Lockdown, but to also <laughs> everything, like you said, right? Like it's just everything is so uh, burdensome, deflating, and burden. Yes, thank you, burdensome. That's exactly, and it really is. This is a great example of a movie that doesn't. It's not that it lacks tension and it's not that it lacks danger and it doesn't ignore problems. In fact, I think what we'll talk about here in a second is it touches on a lot of things, a lot, a lot, a lot of themes and problems and very heavy ones, heavier than I would ever expect for a studio kids movie to, to, to dare go near. Um, but it, it always approaches it with this sense of, like you said, like childlike wonder and, and, um, the view that it can be not like solved, but that you can get through it and not without work and not without putting in effort. And I, I love that part. Yeah. Not without admitting to your own, you know, mistakes. And I think it, it's yeah. wonderful. It does affirm that the things, like you said, that children believe to be true, that you can try your best and you can persevere through that and that you will make mistakes, but you need to own up to them is exactly what works out in the end which I think so many yep. other pieces of media are constantly trying to quell in children. They're trying to sell other messages. And I think it is really refreshing to see a movie that grounds itself within belief in children and just saying, oh, actually do exactly what you were doing. Just learn from everything around you and learn from yourself and learn from your mistakes and learn from people who show you that they are good. And that's yep. just... It see again seems so simple when you say it like that. Like it seems like a given for a movie that's aimed at children, but somehow just doesn't work out in the majority of movies aimed at children. So it is very nice to see it work out. For anybody yeah, who doesn't I, know, this movie, by the way, is about the legend, as you may have guessed, the legend of King uh, Arthur. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> I, in case you don't, I mean, to be fair, I, I only yeah. know this because of the show Merlin. <laughs> but it's you know the, the legend of. They tell this in a very, actually, beautifully animated uh, sequence right at oh the beginning of the movie. Oh, my God, yes. Uh, who did the animation? I really want to know. I don't know, but I would watch a so long pretty. series done like that. I would, I would watch too. a full series. I was beautiful. on board for a King Arthur prequel to this movie of, like, give me an animated series about yes. the actual table and all that. Like, that was so Absolutely. cool looking. But I'm sure it's basically the the myth is a bunch of words that I'm sure you've heard, even if you haven't heard them connected as the story. So King Arthur, legendary king, united people through the goodness of his heart and being a good and honorable noble man who, you know, basically lived by all of the ideals that this movie wants you to believe in. 
And uh, he, uh, when he died without an heir, uh, his lineage was essentially passed on to whoever could pull a sword from a stone. And that sword is the legendary sword Excalibur. And Merlin is the uh, is slightly strange, but a very good, well-meaning uh, sorcerer, essentially a magician man. What is the word? Wizard. <laughs> Wizard. Thank you. Um, <laughs> who, uh, who you know, kind of conjures the sword, and uh, it's uh, the 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 heir uh, who is who can pull the sword out of the stone, who is bestowed with. The power in the, is the once and forever king or whatever it is. Um, yep. And uh, has his noble knights of the round table who are, you know, like him and live by an honorable code. And uh, yeah, there's other stuff around it, but uh, it's, it's what grounds the story. And the main character uh, has heard this story supposedly from his dad as a kid and then kind of believes in it. And, and of course, the story follows the myth. Um but is grounded in the real world with him and his school friends and mostly in, you know, just the lands of the UK and a school building. But it's very good. That's that's one of the things I want to, like, throw out there really quick of something I really loved about it is I kind of liked all of the very, they weren't super subtle, but they were kind of quiet ways that they were doing, like, little winky King Arthur things without spending too much time on it. Like, the, the construction site that he finds Excalibur in is called like palace towers or something like that. And like the, the symbol Ooh. of the construction company is like a, a, a castle. And he like, when he is, when he kind of, you know, he sneaks into the construction site in order to escape the bullies and finds the sword. And he's all, he's doing that by like literally entering into the, what looks like the unfinished, or if you want to think of it another way, the ruins of a building that is a castle. Like, it's being built by a company whose symbol is a castle. Like, that kind of thing. That's just kind of winky in a way mm. that if you notice it, it's really cute and it, like, builds. And not in, like, a superhero Easter egg way. Just in a way of, like, oh, that's kind of neat. Um, I feel so ridiculous for not realizing this the first time around. But all of the kids' names are actual knights' names. And I just never yeah. – I did not connect to the first time. And I felt so ridiculous this time around watching it going, like, oh – the kid, the two bullies' names are Lance and Kay, Lancelot and Sir Kay, and then Betters, which is Betasvir, which is another one of the knights. Like, but again, in a way that didn't feel like they're trying to be really hardcore about it. Like, they're not trying to like shove it down your throat of like, guess what? We're gonna have every knight's name in here. And it wasn't like that. It was just little simple things that built out this feeling of, I guess, like destiny, right? Like, that there's little things Absolutely. that are kind of around that are building this idea that like. No, the Arthurian lore is still here. It's still alive, but in a modern way. So the kid's not going to be named Lancelot because that would be nuts. <laughs> but the kid's name is Lance. Yeah. And there aren't castles anymore, but there are construction companies who, whose symbols is a castle and, and whatever. Like, you know, there's there's still people with horses. Like, people still ride horses. It's not like a thing that goes away. And there's still silly armor shops and, you know, tourist traps and things like that. And just, I, I it really, that worked for me a lot. You know, I'll say I'll take that one step further and say I think the reason it worked is because they knew which elements to double down on and which ones to just kind of throw in there as a wink. Like I didn't even notice the the construction company logo and that kind of stuff because I've only seen this once. But um, I also I did notice that he lived the main character lives on Mallory Road or Street. I think it's Road. 
And I'm assuming that's after Thomas Mallory, the guy who wrote the the legend of King Arthur and everything. Oh, damn. Nice. So that kind of stuff. And they didn't like double down on that. That was just a road sign that was visible one time. But I think that they did obviously choose to double down on the names. But like you said, they didn't make it weird. They just did enough with enough elements of the original story that when you watch it, you're like, oh, they still want you to believe. They just want they don't want to push anything down your throat. But they also don't want to chicken away from saying, hey, believe in this stuff. Believe in yeah. in magic and believe in the stuff around you because the world comes alive when you believe in people. And I, I like I think that. A, I think it's a it's a hard balance. I think a worse version of this story, just to kind of give like the opposite of what I think, that the opposite of what I'm going for here is if instead they had said like, oh, the building he lives in is called Camelot Towers. And he's like really obsessed with a girl at school whose name is Gwen and her last name is Evere, like that kind of thing. Like just like little, little things that would have been too far. And it, it's like, it really did know, like it, it very clear that Joe Cordish knew exactly when to pull that and be like, no, too far. Let's just make it comfortable instead of overwhelming. Yeah, I don't know if they had test audiences for this movie, but I think they probably did a good job if they had the budget for focus groups. Um, But this seems like the kind of thing where they balanced, you know, how much winking to do so perfectly that it's it's almost amazing for a movie of this scale, which is not not big at all. Yeah, no, it's like I said, it's uh, similar to its worst peers. This I don't know. uh, I mean, I don't know why I'm saying I don't know. I guess I can look right now. does it have a budget here? Let's see. Uh, I know it lost a ton of money, but... Uh, yeah, I was going to say... Was we, oh, yes, here it is. Budget of $60 million, which is not huge. I mean, $50 million oh. movies are, are basically your, your sort of middle ground. Um, they're not small indies, but they're not your big blockbusters. These are the things that really aren't made anymore in general, um, at least not in like a really big marketed way. So that's not huge. Uh, and it does... It, it, shows it like it's you know almost all of the the sets are either on location and in big kind of areas that are just easy to shoot like here's a well i mean easy in a way that i don't know what the hell i'm talking about what i mean is like it's they don't have to go to some extreme location to my knowledge this was mostly shot in uh like in the place it takes place in i believe uh 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 you know it's just shot throughout london and um wherever the heck he's from what's it called tagalier T- t- I don't know. I, it's just up there, like northwest t- England. T- around. I forget what it's t- called. T- tag- mm. Mm. Tag- Tagalini? Something like that. Uh, Tintagle. Tintagle. There it is. Um, so, you know, I guess my point being here that it's like you're either in a simple house, a simple school. You know, the, the bad guys, they don't look bad, to be honest. But it's not like they're going hardcore, like, let's convince you it's real Game of Thrones budget. It's more, and I I think that works, like it fits because it's not, it doesn't detract, they never look bad, but they look like the things that are from a child's imagination. Like they look like something that could be summoned by a child, you know? It, it's, yeah, absolutely. And, and in a in a very, and again, not in like a patronizing way, but in a just a realistic sense. Um, probably the worst, worst looking thing in this movie is... The bad guy, which is uh, Morgana uh, from Arthurian legend, his half-sister slash also uh, mother of his child in a lot of versions, but they rightfully yeah. skip over that. Uh, played by Rebecca Ferguson, who just loves playing bad guys who want to eat children. 
Um, <laughs> uh, she really, that's her niche. Uh, she's probably the worst looking thing in this movie. She, she, they sort of turn into a dragon and, you know, it doesn't look like fantastic. Like it's obviously CGI, but again, I, I honestly think it kind of served it. She's pretty creepy looking. Like, yeah. it's oh my God. It's really creepy. In a way that I was like, good God, like this is actually, but it, it, again, it feels scary in a way that's like, it's meant to probably scare a kid a little bit, but not so bad that it's traumatizing them. Like it's not meant to be a horror movie. It's not meant to be like, guess what? You're watching something not age appropriate, but it is meant to be something that is going to be very like, oh God, that's really scary. That's very, that's causing me to feel fear because there's a really, you know, very terrifying looking woman's face on a dragon body thing in almost like a harpy way. Um, Yeah, It it just feels very kid appropriate again and not, not something, I think it would have been worse if they had gone really hardcore and made it a very intense, realistic looking dragon because, yeah. I don't know. I, I We've seen that so many times. So, yeah. I, I totally works. agree because at the beginning of the movie, like we talked about in that beautiful animation scene where they kind of told the legend very quickly in a minute or two, um, they showed a little visual of a creepy animated Morgana before she, you know, falls down into the core of the earth or whatever. And then yep. when she comes back right at the end for the final battle as a sort of real-ish woman dragon, pen dragon, yep. pen dragon, whatever it is, I, the weird thing is, it kind of looks exactly like the animation, which yeah. is a wonderful thing because, again, if we're that's the point, right? That's what kids see in their heads, or that's even what we see right. in our heads. When you it's imagine something like that, you imagine it the way exactly like you imagine it the way yeah. it is in illustrations, yeah. and you imagine it the way you see it in cartoons. So if that's how it looks, then that makes sense. I think it adds. Yeah. I think it's another kind of badge of honor on this kind of sash that we've been talking about that makes this movie good, which is that it it knows how much of the kids' imagination to honor exactly. Like, this is a really specific compliment for this movie. But whenever I watch movies about like character main character groups, usually teens or kids who go off on kind of a huge adventure, and uh, you know they you know stumble upon some fantasy elements that nobody would believe if they told them and then they have to convince everyone that they have to save the world and then they do i always get this is so like completely unnecessary but i just get irrationally stressed out about how all the adults would be reacting not because i'm worried about them like i don't care about the adults i'm just thinking oh it's going to be so burdensome when this when the movie ends for the characters of the kids to explain to everyone around them what was happening you know like i always feel yep. like oh, now they won't get it and i know that that's so stupid because that part's never even in the movie like it's just after it's gone and yay happy ending but i always get irrationally stressed out about it because i feel like it takes away from the freedom that the kids feel because no kid in this world is actually free you're thinking about how you'll explain your actions to the adults around you right like you're always worried that they see you as a little dumb child and they won't believe you, whether you whether you're telling the truth or not. And I liked in this movie, really specifically, that when all of these battles are going down, that every other mortal on Earth literally disappears and time freezes yeah. because it just it just kind of took away that worry. You know, like it was yet another way that this movie made you just believe that what the kids are going through is real, and that all that matters is that it's real for them because that's all that matters. Yep. They're the only ones who matter. Everyone else on Earth is literally does not matter. They can be gone. I just like yep. that. I felt like it was another way to honor them as real people and real kids in the story. For sure. And I, I think they do it in a way that's also very, like, it's simple and smart. 
Like they don't spend a ton of time on it. They just tell you how it is. They don't ask you to think about it. They're just like, here's the rule of the world. You either accept it or you get up out of your seat and leave the theater. Like that's it. Like it's not <laughs> you, right. you we're, we're giving you the very simple rule. And then I think really smartly, they kind of bring it back later on in a way to just they, they use it to good effect. They make a little joke out of it and they have all the teachers standing around a room mindlessly because they, you know, they, they can't be there, that kind of thing. Like just in a way that's kind of cute and it never distracts. They never, you know, force it on you, but they use it for good laughs sparingly. Uh, and that, that is a subtweet at, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, um, <laughs> jokes. That is what that is. Uh, honestly, my favorite use of that in the whole movie is when they are in the car chase and, uh, when they defeat the last bad guy and the old man whose car they're in reappears. That part <laughs> yeah, is absolutely. honestly hysterical. <laughs> like it's, it's so, and the, the what's her face K just appears on his lap and she's like, Oh God, you know, like, cause he just shows back up and like, it's a great way to keep that rule going, keep that world rule that you've established in and in, in a light way. So I loved, I, I, I really am with you. I think that was such a good use of it. Uh, and in a way that does solve that problem that I don't think you're alone in having, I will say, I do think about that kind of a lot. Oh, that's uh, actually really this. relieving to hear. <laughs> no, I think about it a lot. And it, because I feel like there's only ever, there's like, I don't know if this is true. I'm going to say there's three buckets. There's like the Narnia bucket where it's always just you come back at the exact moment you left. So no one knows you're gone. It's all good, which I always kind of feel, I don't know. I, I'm fine with it, but it always kind of feels like a removal of tension. Unrealistically free. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got the Harry Potter bucket, which is like, there is no difference. Everyone does know, but it's just fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> and that's, that's <laughs> fine. That's a, you know, you just, you're sort of left thinking about it. Uh, and then you've got, of course, my personal favorite, and this will come back up again in this podcast. Be warned, listeners. You've got the Animorphs method, which is the kids have to sneak around. Right. Like, I feel like that's the other biggest one is like the, the, no one disappears. The kids just have to make it work. And that always feel that I think that one's nice because it adds some tension, but it also ends up feeling the most unrealistic of like, so you're just telling me that for whatever, you know, five years, no one noticed you sneaking out of the house every night to battle right. shadow demons or whatever the plot of this movie is, you know, like, <laughs> uh, your, your mother never knew, never once. <laughs> like, uh yeah so I, I like that this one really takes a different turn of like you know what they're just not there that's it <laughs> don't worry about it yeah and i think when they are there the, too they they really they had a they played the children adult relationship really well too i liked every little thing like even like walking into a shop and a shopkeeper being like oh yeah you know i'll sell you all this armor for a bunch of 50p <laughs> coins I thought that okay, was I those kind of things are so cute yeah i have a question about that this is lost on me as a foolish american what is 50 pence? Is that like 50 cents? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not like 50 bucks, right? It's like a yeah, 50 yeah, yeah. cent coin. So they yeah. walk into an armor store with like six grocery bags full of 50 cent coins. Yep. <laughs> that They made me laugh, but it was one of those things that also took, not took me out of the movie in a bad way, but like my first thought was like, good God, this poor shopkeeper <laughs> has to take these grocery bags full of 50 cent pieces and go okay i guess this is 300 dollars. you know like, this was also the point of the movie where i was like surely the shopkeeper would at this point call the police and be like these children yes. have stolen a mm -hmm. bunch of money 
<laughs> Honest to God, the most I that is the one moment in the movie that I which I know sounds ridiculous given the plot. No, that's no, the it's one the moment in the movie that I was like, mm, we needed to spend a little more time on this part. Like somebody need you need to explain to me in the script how this guy doesn't call the cops. Or say, I will not sell you armor because you're buying it with coin. Like, no, you can't use pennies to buy things. I'm sorry. You need to go exchange that for bills, which also feels like that could have been done. They could have just gone to like a machine and putted it right. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I thought I think it's a good sign if that's my biggest complaint with this movie. (laughs) Absolutely. I do. I I mean, it's it's just sweet the way the adults kind of went with things. Because again, like apart from that one scene, possibly, it didn't feel like too much. Like it didn't feel like, oh, the adults are just straight up dumb. It felt like real adults. Like his relationship with his mother felt very real. And even though it was only in the movie for, I would say maybe a total of like, 10 minutes of screen time it was not much in terms of just raw time in the movie it was really meaningful like it felt real i think these movies sometimes do a shitty job of that like when they when they stress that family is so important in movies like the mulan remake but then family is actually really not in the movie at all you're like i don't i don't understand how at the end of the movie your plot can then hinge on family being the turning point or the reason why things did or didn't work if you don't Mm. sufficiently hammer home that that relationship is actually important, which is so difficult, so, so difficult. And I think I'm kind of in awe of how well this movie did that. Like, it didn't have much time between the son and the mother, but it still managed to make me believe at the end that the reason why they, you know, their kind of fake out ending didn't work and why they needed another big battle was because he had let down his mother. I believed it and I yep. like I cared. So that's the big one that uh uh that's the thing that I told you. That was actually the the twist uh which I now realize oh, I'm watching a second time. Right. I was like maybe I missold this to you as a twist. But it it I think it felt like a twist to me where where what we're getting at here is that essentially if you're watching the movie there's a there's a point in which it feels like you're at the end of the movie because you're at the end of the movie in just about any other movie. Like the 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 characters and the protagonists have gone down into the bad guy's lair and the main character has faced the bad guy and seemingly defeated her, right? Uh, Ron and Hermione are behind and Harry has gone down to face Voldemort in front of the mirror. Like that's it's the classic moment. And then you win and then you go back and they kind of go through like a whole epilogue. So I remember when I first watched this, I was like, man, this movie just kind of ended. What a piece of crap. <laughs> like, I honestly was like, well, this is disappointing. <laughs> like, I thought that we would have, like, more. And then all of a sudden, the movie's like, nope. It didn't, you didn't do that at all because you forgot that characters, that it's, like, uh, movies are not about plot arcs. They're about character arcs. And that's always been true. It's about characters developing. And you forgot that the main character didn't actually change their behavior, didn't you? And you're like, oh, yep, you're right. <laughs> and it, like, very... <laughs> It just kind of slams it in your face of like, guess what? It's not over because we tried to tell you like, and it did to its credit. It told us many times it's set up. Guess what? They're not going to succeed if they don't do this thing. And you just forget about it just like the character does. And the thing that he ends up needing to do is emotionally process with his mother and, and like in an honest way and in a hard way and confront her a little bit and himself. And all of that is just so shocking. Yeah, I I really love that. Yeah, I also liked how they did the whole, so spoiler alert, um, he kind of grows up thinking that that his father has given him 
the book that tells this story and thus has guided yes. him through the entire adventure he takes. And mm-hmm. he hears from his mom that his father kind of battled demons. And he's like, oh, just like I'm battling these kind of mythical demons. Yep. And he's kind of built his father up as any child who's only met their father one time to be, oh, his father isn't in their life, um, to be kind of this incredible mythical guy who's just had his own stuff going on, but wanted to be a great dad. And of course, at the end, he learns that, um, or near the end, he learns that it was actually his mother who gave him that book and has been trying to create or recast his, his dad in, in a better light yep. um, because he was actually just Which an alcoholic who deeply, didn't like, want to be in a tragically loving thing to do. Totally, totally. Yeah. And, and with that, and you can kind of get the sense that she didn't do too much. Like she wasn't like creating a whole fake dad, just kind of putting these touches here and there to make him believe that he was loved, right? Which is all that, yep. that you know. And it's really sweet that even he kind of gets it. You know, he's like, I get that you wanted me to be loved and that you did your best. Right. Um, but where was I going with this? Um, I, I think, that, I just, oh yeah, okay, I remember now, great. um, yeah, firstly, <laughs> well done, but second, that so many stories have that thing of, like, uh, making the main character believe that they're descended from greatness because the myth compels them to yes. believe that, and then yes. they actually learn that they are a, in quotes, nobody, or that they are just, uh, you know, a regular person, uh, and the, the power always came from within, et cetera, et cetera, I think we can name a hundred recent stories that are like that. But mm-hmm. not all of them are equal, but I liked how this one did it. Do you have any more thoughts on that? No, I actually think that's a, a great segue. I was going to use that to, to segue into us talking a little more about like what this movie is actually doing or about or the themes in it. Because, yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about why we love it to death. And I honestly don't know if you have anything to detract from this movie really quickly Honest to God, the only thing I have was the guy at the shop and my confusion why Merlin always sneezes. It's not an, an annoying. It's just like a thing that's there and I'm not sure why. It, it almost felt like it was a thing that was like maybe it was in there for 10 seconds and I missed it and or it was edited out at some point. But again, that a good sign if that's my only complaint. Um, yeah, but absolutely. I, I, that's all I got. Uh but I was going to use that as a, as a segue into that sort of bigger concept of like, what is this talking about? Uh, and I figured, I know you have one in particular you want to talk about, which I cannot wait to hear about. Um, wait, hold on. But if you kind of want to. I oh, think go ahead. it's a whole thing. Like Merlin sneezing is a whole thing. Oh, really? Um, I, I've just Googled it, but it is a, I don't know. It also, Patrick Stewart is older Merlin in this movie. Yeah. Just as I, a fun fact. Okay, another little thing is that <laughs> I kind of like how, that. yeah, we, we should definitely mention that. But just fun I liked how this movie, like if I Google this movie, it keeps saying like, the kid who would be king, the next movie by Joe Cornish, uh, Patrick Stewart's star, or Patrick Stewart's yeah. <laughs> the king who would be king, uh, or kid who would be king's main cast, Patrick Stewart. That guy's in the movie for two minutes, like a total yep. of two minutes just to be the, you know, the classic wise old Patrick Stewart that we yep. all know. He's basically Patrick Stewart in this movie, <laughs> you yeah. know, which is perfect. He's exactly he really what is. we needed. <laughs> but I liked how they Trojan horse to that. Like, I bet a bunch of people yep. watched it and they were like, this is a Patrick Stewart movie. It is not, for my friends. Sure. It is an Angus Imrie movie who is the kid who actually plays Merlin. And he yep. is phenomenal, like phenomenal good. It's such that a kid different turn. Sold me on yeah. this movie. Yeah, dude, I felt like tiny tangent, but I felt like if any other actor or a lesser portrayal, I guess, of Merlin was done in this movie, it would single handedly bring the entire thing down. Like it would be Agreed. so easy Agreed. to play that character like cartoonish or dumb or yeah. just like weird, he but in a way where annoying. like 
Exactly. He never becomes annoying. No. It's so difficult to make it meaningful and sincere and to match the tone, like the sincerity that was in the rest of the movie. And yep. he nailed it. Like He nailed it. The moment he appeared on screen, I was like, I'm sold. This movie was already good, but now it's great. So another, good stuff Another piece of, uh, of love here for the movie uh, before we move on to other stuff. Uh, I really like the way they handled Merlin's magic. I, I don't have like a... I'm not saying this is fact. I'm just complete conjecture. But basically the way that they show his magic in this movie is that Merlin does a bunch of like hand motions. Like he does like a bunch of like hand clappy things. Like tutting. Where he'll like, <laughs> yeah, he like, you know, he'll tap his palms against each other and do some like kind of whatever, like with his, with his snapping or whatever. And then magic happens. And there's really, there's no cited reason for this to occur in the movie. And that's totally fine. Uh, my guess and if this is true, I think it's honestly brilliant. It makes it something that a kid who's watching this, when they're done with the movie, they can go pretend they're doing. Oh, my God. It's brilliant. Yes. It's yes. absolutely brilliant. In the exact same way that, like, uh, we're going to keep coming back to Harry Potter probably because it's hard not to. This movie even cites Harry Potter. It cites, you know, uh, uh, the bigger fantasy movies, obviously. In the exact same way that any kid can walk out Harry Potter, go pick up the nearest stick and have a great time for about the next five years of their lives. Like, yeah, it, it it's a very easy, accessible way to leave the theater and have a kid go, I'm going to go pretend to be Merlin. And then they can go clap their hands and do some snappy things and play to their heart's content. And it's not going to be something that is inaccessible by and a, an example of this would be like if it had been a staff like a and it had been very complex words. Yeah, if it right, had been very, like, right. really complex, like, enchantments of some sort. Or if he had, you know, every magic had been like, well, I need to go get the blood of a goat and I need to draw this rune on this ground or whatever. Like, something that would have been harder to do. Again, totally conjecture. But there's just something about it that really felt to me like it was, again, focusing on the child's experience watching the movie and not it needing to make sense or, like, oh, it needing to be something cool. It's just about will a kid accept it and be into it. And I can totally see a younger version of myself being like, oh, my God, I'm going to go be a magician right now and whatever, make up cool, snappy things and have a great time. So anyway. No, that is such a good love. call, especially because the kid, like the best friend in the movie literally does mm -hmm. that, right? You're like he, right. he videos Merlin doing his magic and then tries it and then Learns it, and it works, it. Right. of course. Yeah, which, which is again, a wonderful model. If, if this movie had any like merchandising, that's what I'm getting at. Like it feels like it would be the exact, like they even put in the movie, the kid learning it, like you just said. So to me, that feels like that's the point. Do it in a way that makes kids able to do it. Go forth, you know? One of my that. favorite things about this movie is that it's not a franchise movie, which, again, seems like all. such I a simple thing to do. I thought it was a book adaptation, do. and right. I'm wrong. It's no, it's nothing. It's just an, no, a, no. A, another wonderful, well, a, a one wonderful retelling of the King Arthur myth. Like, that's literally it. Yep. It's just based on the myth. But otherwise, it is a completely original and standalone film. Which I love, because not only do we obviously not get nearly enough of that, and also, like you said, there's so many liberties you can take with making things accessible. Like they don't need to make some kind of like lightsaber, stick, staff, goat blood, uh, rune thing because they have to carry that mythos forward or pick it up from somewhere else. They can just be like, and this is how the magic is done. Now go and enjoy. Like you can be like completely uncynical and keep all of the sense of childlike wonder because you just need it to be cohesive for one movie and not be forgettable. Like, it's difficult, but they did that, and I really liked it. Yep. 
hundred percent. So uh, it's a good sign that we cannot stop saying good things about this movie. So let me attempt to to go back to what I was trying to get at before <laughs> we uh, uh, once again delved into just loving it so much. Um, what are some of the themes that this movie is touching on? Here's here's my first entry before we kind of popcorn back and forth. Um, something that you just touched on a little bit, I'm going to expand on. Uh, this movie very much, I think, disagrees or at least tries to alter the um, chosen hero or great man theory or whatever, hero's journey, whatever way you want to kind of describe that. Uh, storytelling technique, right? And in real life, what I think what we would most commonly call like the great man theory of history, um, where it it really intensely is like, yeah, I mean, this kid is King Arthur's heir. That's true, clearly from the movie. Um, and he does go through a very similar uh, sort of destined path, like any especially male uh, uh, child in many, many, many infinite other movies go through, right? See... Aragon, C, uh, Lion, the Witch of the Wardrobe, Percy Jackson, Harry Potter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, very similar. But like what we just talked about, every moment in the movie where what should happen to that character is what's supposed to happen, it just doesn't. Like his success does not come from being by himself destined to smite the villain. That is 100% not the case. And he's only able to overcome by doing emotional processing and vulnerability, which, like we just said, Luke Skywalker never goes to therapy. That never happens. He <laughs> like, sure should, though. It, it took until The Last Jedi for them to be like, you know what? Maybe he wouldn't be thrilled with this, which is why the movie is, of course, <laughs> wonderful, uh, where he sits down and actually does some introspection uh, uh, very similarly, right? And in fact, what you just brought up, right? That storyline of like the person figuring out, oh, I'm actually a nobody. Um, and that's why I'm special, which feels like a weird similar inversion of the same trope of like uh, it still doesn't require any work really it, it just gets to say like oh well you're nobody but you're still special like you're still destined uh you're just not from like a famous family unless of course yeah absolutely. you make an eighth movie uh or a ninth movie rather and then they end up being the granddaughter of space hitler <sighs> i'll never get over that uh anyway um somehow Palpatine same thing. has returned somehow Palpatine's returned this movie very explicitly makes the main character have to engage in work in order to be good not to be destined but to be good uh he's not 100 percent good from the beginning like he's not and what i mean by that like he's a child obviously he's i'm not saying he's evil but like any other person he's got some things he needs to do <laughs> he's got some things he needs to work on he needs to treat his friend a little better he needs to probably work out some things with his mom he needs to confront some people in his life about their behavior right like all things that that Luke and Harry and Percy they they're not really getting to do like their their destiny and that's it right so uh and before Percy Jackson fans kill me i'm referring to the movie never finish the book so don't kill me um uh uh here's my my second piece of evidence for this like you just said, the mom is the one who hands him the book, and that's all That's all good. I really love that part. What they don't do is they do not take away the lineage of Arthur from his dad. And I don't think – I think you could read that his mom is actually it, but I don't think that's correct. I think his dad is – let's say his dad would have been King Arthur if he had found the sword. Like that's the best way for me to put it. 
his dad lives on the island that King Arthur's born on, or he did at some point. He's from there. Like, they make it pretty clear that's, you know, that's, uh, it's passing down through, I'm assuming, some old school BS male lineage kind of a thing. All that being said, the reason I love that is because they explicitly make it clear, like, the dad's not good. And he's not, he's not necessarily good because he's an alcoholic, which is the problem, right? You learn that the demons that he's battling are alcohol and that's bad. It's not that. Like, it, 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 you know, it, it flirts with that a little bit, which is certainly entering into a problematic realm. But it pulls back and it kind of focuses more on the fact that the dad, uh, they talk about how he's very angry. He was angry at himself and everyone. Um, and that he, it's sort of like he's not interested in engaging in the process of healing or moving forward. And that is what not makes him bad, but it's what makes him not worthy of the sword. And that's what I'm getting at. What I love about this is what that means is the dad is just as destined as the son in theory, but Mm. you don't get to be the hero. You don't get to be the chosen one by virtue of being born into it in this world. Because otherwise, the dad would be the chosen one. You don't get to do that. You have to engage in goodness. You have to engage in emotional processing. You have to engage in in loving uh, and respecting your loved ones. Like, you have to go through that hard in order to even be worthy of actually going on the hero's journey. And that is such a deviation from every other variation I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, And I really, really loved that. Um I just have never seen anything like it. So that's my first entry for themes this movie is handling that it has kind of no business going after. Like it just, it it didn't have to at all. So I believe you have a a flagship theme for us. I don't, I don't even think this is a pitch. I think this is just what this movie is about. Like it's just, if you, if you called up Joe Cornish right now, he'd be like, yeah. Uh, But this movie is, it's just super about Brexit. (laughs) <laughs> like it's extremely <laughs> set in the UK, but like it's really set in the UK. Extremely it's not just set. a British movie, uh, yeah. to to a high extent. Um, but it's it, it released in 2019, which was of course you know peak. Uh, well, arguably since 2016 has been peak Brexit discourse, but like peak, I would say like cultural and political division in uh, the UK around Brexit and and decisions to be taken and peak kind of anger at Brexit finally being put into action, because I would say, of course, peak anger was around 2016 when the vote happened. But then after that, especially having lived here in part of 2019, it was, you know, more, more kind of active anger and demonstrative kind of frustration about how irreversible things are happening that can't be turned back and how there's kind of no reason to have hope anymore if there's something this big and something this kind of irreversible is happening. And I think this movie is kind of unabashedly, uh, you know, spreading a few messages that are meant to kind of give you hope about that specific situation. Like it's fully a Brexit commentary. It fully tells, there's a full, a whole speech that um, the main character kind of gives it in front of all of his schoolmates where he says, you know, we're stronger when we are together and uh, the evil wants to drive us apart and make us fight. And that, you know, that is not something for us to believe in. And there's a whole kind of, that's one of the three big moments that are about Brexit. The second one is uh, when uh, towards the end, um, uh, Merlin tells the evil uh, bad lady that uh, 
the that the world actually belongs and the future belongs to the kids that it's all about the kids and that she says oh they have no future and of course she has to be defeated for believing something like that and right at the end patrick stewart appears in about for about 50 percent of his entire screen time in the movie to give a kind of two minute uh, hopeful speech to the kids because and this is one of my favorite things about the movie they kind of finish you know the entire journey and they're standing on the banks of the water of you know a body of water and they're thinking hey what was the point of all of that if first off people may not even believe us like when we tell this story and second if all the it only really matters to those who were involved like if only those who were there feel the effects then does it matter to the rest of the world if you know the goodness and the lessons we've learned won't be yeah. spread beyond our circle and he kind of gives the speech Pushing. Exactly. Like and pushing if, and, and right, and if we're yeah. just kids, which is the, the worry, right? Like we're mm-hmm. just kids and we can't push, we can't make an impact big enough to cause ripples and change anything. And he kind of gives a speech where he says, a land is only as good as its leaders and you will make excellent leaders. And he says, perhaps you have more battles to fight that do not involve, you know, mythical demons and stuff. And he kind of basically is at that point looking into the camera and saying, hey, kids, like if you think that which is the, I guess this is the primary anger about Brexit, right? Is that like a bunch of older people voted and then screwed with the future of all the younger people who very much did not want their, you know, education and work and cultural opportunities to be bound to this one country. Um, So they were like, they were essentially looking into the camera and saying, hey, kids, if you're feeling that way, uh, all is not lost. First of all, believe the power of belief is always there, the power of hope. And doing the right thing will always matter. And secondly, uh, you have a kind of responsibility and, uh, you know, uh, people behind you make who telling you that you as well can be the leaders. And if you, you know, you look at the leaders of this country and believe that they are not speaking for you, then and then work towards the day when you will be those leaders and you will be better. And the whole movie is, it couldn't be more about that, especially I'm sure if you went to watch it in the theaters in the midst of all of that. And I would, to close, I would arguably say that Brexit is such an annoyingly extended thing. Like, I remember the vote in 2016, and I also remember moving here and thinking, oh, God, it's probably going to be over. And it sure isn't. And to this day, it's 2021, and my job, like, the way I get paid had to change over the holidays because Brexit, one of the elements of Brexit finally went into effect. All this to say Brexit is very much still happening. And I know that nobody outside the UK cares because, frankly, like, does anything in this country matter? IMO, no. But it does. This matters because it's like it's it's an ongoing frustration. And I think that watching this movie today, like in February of 2021, hit me just as hard Brexit metaphor wise as it probably would have in 2019, which is shitty. But it's it's nice that the movie worked in that way. Yeah, I, you know, I, I obviously have a lot less uh, exposure to it across the pond here. Um that's my favorite old people phrase to say that I feel like nobody actually says anymore. Um, I say it daily. Oh, excellent. Okay, good enough. Uh, yeah, I, even without being exposed to it very much, it still was one of those things watching it where you're like, hmm, this probably has something to do with that Brexit thing, doesn't it? You know, like it just, it, it just feels sort of inescapable where you're like, yeah, this is definitely at least kind of about that, right? Like, or at the very least, just about general kind of political division in the world in these days, right? Like, yes. I think you could read it equally about like yep. Trump or Democrats and Republicans and or any big I was country say on that, right now. That's actually what I was going to throw out as my my third sort of, you know, to, to hand another one is when I, those exact same quotes you just gave, I read them obviously a little bit differently, not being as connected to it. Um, my reading of this movie, and I'm, I'm not saying this is separate at all. It's just sort of, I guess, broader. Um, 
was this movie is trying to radicalize some kids, which I loved. Uh, it, it's definitely trying to <laughs> radicalize some kids, uh, it's convincing them, and rightfully so, that, uh, you know what sucks? Capitalism. <laughs> you know what's great? Socialism. Like, it's really, uh, the, the lines that stood out to me are the one you just said of, like, um, of, uh, you know, the, uh, it wants to, it wants us to fight each other. Like, it, it, evil wants us to fight each other. It's a, it's, it's afraid of the idea of us sort of being united and, and standing against one. And, that to me immediately in my, you know, kind of not being able to help myself anymore of like, well, that's sure as hell sounds like class solidarity to me, doesn't it? Uh, and that's also put forward by the very beginning of the movie where you learn through a little bit of a bully dialogue that uh, 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 the main kid, Alex, we've never said his name, I think, through the entirety of this podcast. The main kid's name is Alex. That's because um, I forgot. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just think of him as the main kid. Uh, him and Betters are, are both in this nicer private school uh, at least from what we gather but they're in it through uh, i don't know scholarship I, i'm not really clear it doesn't really go into the details but you know this because one and or two of the bullies are from a obviously nicer position in life and you know this because one of them is hanging the other upside down and basically saying like you're in our world now you need to pay your dues like you need to pay up in order to be where we belong right you also have uh, the main kid getting in trouble in school and the principal having a wild line uh, where she says a million millions of other kids have the better start in life than you. Uh, and you got to like, basically, you're going to have to work a lot harder in order to get where they are. So you yeah, got to shape up, like, stop harsh, being crappy. Yeah. I thought so, too. I was like, good God. Anyway, all of that to say, to then later on have them have the line, evil wants us to fight each other. And if we're going to defeat this thing, like we, that sure as hell sounds like a class solidarity pitch to me of, and I'm not, I, again, like class already in the sense of like this somewhat higher class kid should be teaming up with this much lower class kid against the ancient evil woman who represents everything this movie keeps saying is bad, which is like uh, the top class you know uh, ruling class like uh, old people old white men in particular who are running the country and ruining the world which is all this movie posits the whole time is that the reason that morgana is coming back is because britain which seems to represent the world uh which is an interesting little view but i guess it makes sense from the arthurian uh standpoint um that it is is fallen into darkness right people are hollow and it's bad and and no one's in charge of it because it's all bad and again like that all very much feels like, that's what it's getting at to me. The line that really got me, though, is he's in Morgana's lair and they're fighting in the pseudo finale. And she says, um, you need to learn your place. You're a common surf. And yeah. uh, you, you're, you, you're basically something along the lines of, like, you're not supposed to be challenging someone like me, the likes of me, right? Again, this constant theme throughout the movie of you are a poor kid. And you and your poor friends should stay where you belong. Now, rich kids, you should come over and with me. And she does. She tries to basically pull the rich kids over and, and like kind of entice them. And, you know, specifically denotes the kids greed. Like, you need to be on our side. So this, this constant narrative the movie is pushing of the only thing that is going to defeat this is not one single person. That great man theory idea. But is in fact class solidarity against the ruling class. <laughs> Like it did, I I loved it. It was such a shocking like, damn, this movie's going hard. Like, 
in a way that it doesn't need to. Like it, it absolutely wouldn't have needed to in a worse version of this movie. You know, yeah. Many kids movies aren't really about anything other than, like I said before, the power of friendship and how it heals friendship, uh, friendship, friendship. So I, I really love that. Um, so that's the next theme that I think this thing was putting forward. Um, the, the only last one that I'll put forward is this. Uh, let me, I'm going to go back to my, let me crack my knuckles here and go back to my lockdown. Um, I'm going to galaxy brain this movie. <laughs> I think that you could watch this movie under the guise that none of it is real. And you could, where the wild things are it, uh, I'm going to ver- verb, verbize where the wild things are. Um, they do a really good job of lining up the villains and what's going on in this movie with the world the kid would be or did experience outside of this fantasy element. So, for example, very clear parallels like, like you know, you brought up earlier. Uh, the dad is battling demons. We're told that by the mom, right? And he's like, oh, my God, me too. Literally fire demons, right? It, on a very simple level. That already to me, like, and and I'll admit, there's a degree to what I'm talking about here that is coming from personal experience. Like, I, I'm I'm a, I'm drawing on this a little bit from my own childhood, uh, and not a little bit. I'm going to say a lot bit. Uh, we're going we're going deep here. This podcast has officially changed course. Um, <laughs> very much drawing on experiences of my own childhood of processing very traumatic events very early in my childhood through imagination play for a very long time much longer than i thought was appropriate and later was told by a therapist it's fine and that made me feel better uh but that that's the kind of thing i'm getting at was the minute that line came up that is where my brain went of like ah interesting like this kid is is there's this world that is currently going on around him right world a that is the real world and then we got world B, which is this fantasy world that's entering in, in which he ends up battling demons. He ends up um, having to go on this journey that is obviously reminiscent of the book that his father, slash we later find out his mother, gives him. Um, he, the villain of the movie ends up being a, uh, a woman, period, which kind of... I don't know, almost like classically or tropey. It always makes me immediately think of like, okay, got it. There's supposed to be a tie to the mom here, like a little bit. Like there's definitely mm. something in relation to that. Um, and again, his inability to defeat the villain by defeating her. In fact, he defeats the villain originally by stabbing her with a sword and it doesn't work. Earlier in the movie, he is basically uh, 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 not listening to his mother and he's trying to leave with the sword with Excalibur. And his mom's like, hey, you probably shouldn't run around London with a weapon because you're a child. Uh, and he literally points the sword at her. And I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's intentional, but he swings it around and she actually gets scared and she basically jumps backwards. And then he runs out of the house and he's like really sad and he's really torn up and whatever. And the point is that scene happens later on. He stabs Morgana and guess what? Doesn't solve the problem. The only way that this ends up happening is he has to sit down and emotionally process with his mom in what I'm going to call world a, the real world, right? And I'm not saying the movie is actually pushing this forward. There's a very explicit scene in which he tells his mom this is all real. And you see it because he calls on the Lady of the Lake and she shoots her hand out of the bathtub, which is honestly hysterical. Uh, so funny. And succeeds in getting a caliber back, right? So you know that it's real in the, in the world of the movie. But what I'm putting forward here is I think that you could read this movie very much in the way of this kid is processing what is actually going on in his world. And and to your point you just brought up, I'm sure that kids, I would imagine that kids in the UK 
are pretty aware of Brexit. And I don't even mean it just like a, the word, but I would imagine, like kids are in the United States and I'm sure all over the world, are either indirectly or indirectly aware of the massive political upheavals going on around them. And that causes things. Like it causes stress. It causes trauma. It causes anxiety because you don't know what's going on and things that should be the way they are aren't. And you suddenly have, you know, people in positions of power telling you one thing and telling you another. And and that is everything that is going on within the fantasy world of this movie too. And I loved that. I don't think I've seen a movie other than The Wild Things Are, which I one day will return to, uh, I don't think I've seen a movie handle uh, uh, processing through imaginative play quite so well as it feels like it did in this movie, um, even if it's not what it's really about. It just, you know, it's sort of like the smell test. It feels familiar. So I really loved that. Yeah, I think that was a really good take and really well explained. Oh, it's... I think it's really notable that when you watch these movies and you can feel that one is done really well, you kind of have no choice but to explain it through the lens of how you were as a kid um, mm -hmm. because it it got that balance right. And for the time that you were watching it and the time that you're processing it, you are your kid self again instead of you're trying mm -hmm. your best to empathize with a kid. Because we're not kids anymore, but I think the movies that don't do it well make me just go, Ugh, what would a what would a kid do again? But the movies that do it well make me remember what I was like as a kid and why why these things would have worked and what would have worked and how I would be in these situations. So it does mean a lot to me. I do love these kind of movies that that blend, you know, um, fantasy into a family film genre. I don't I think that's a reductive yeah. but accurate way of putting it. And, you know, the, the ones that make you believe that myths are alive around you and if you just believe hard enough and work hard enough that they will bring you to a better place in your life. Because I think that that is a wonderful thing to believe in and it's always true, you know? Like, even though it yeah. may not be true in the most realistic way, it's true in some way, like you said. And I, I just, I love, I love those kind of movies and I love what they bring out in you when they're done well. So that's actually, I think, a, a fantastic segue into uh, the other maybe final thing we want to kind of talk about with this is, like you just said, you love it when it's done well. Uh, there are many, many, many examples of things when it's not done well. Uh, many. In fact, I would say many more examples of when it's done poorly. Statistically, than most well. of them. Yeah. And we've talked about some of them already, right? The, the, the ones that come to my mind immediately are... Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief, the movie. Uh, Aragon, right? The adaptation of the Christopher somebody or other book. Mm -hmm. oh, man, younger me would have been able to pull that out. Um, for those who don't remember Aragon, you know, the Pauly. blue book with the dragon on it that you couldn't get away from in Barnes & Noble for like <laughs> 15 years. That one. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, 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 there, there's a ton of them. That are that are you know we name some that are just in the genre alone, Bridge to Pyramidia, et cetera. But um, Sorcerer's Apprentice, uh, similar, and I don't even mean similar. Not all these are similar in plot, but they're similar in tone, and they're similar in what they're trying to get across, and to their, you know, they're they're trying to talk to the same audience. Obviously, Chronicles of Narnia, obviously Harry Potter, things that are hard to get away from. Um, why? 
why do you think it's so hard to get them right? Like, why are these so bad? Because some of them are just straight up bad, like notoriously bad. Yeah. I'm trying to piece together, you know, not just that they don't do so many of the wonderful things that we mentioned so far about this movie, but I'm trying to figure out what they actively do that's really bad. Yeah, that's what I can't. I can't put my finger on why they screw up. Some of them are easier than others, right? Like Percy Jackson, there's a degree to which it is already, uh, it, it's starting on, on uh, what is it? Starting on third base. Is that the right phrase? I don't know if that makes any sense. Can we, wait, let's have a pause here. I don't mean pause. The, I, I want the, I want the listeners to engage in our constant stupid conversation. <laughs> Isn't the phrase starting on third base? To indicate that you're you're like in a you're starting with like a like a, a a position that is worse than someone else isn't that the right phrase? I'm gonna be so honest with you. I have never ever heard that phrase before. I think that's the phrase, and I want to throw this out there. That doesn't make any sense. If you're starting on third base, then you're one base away from home, which is where you want to be. Isn't that a which good is thing? Good. In the same way that like. Oh, never mind. Say, that's not what it means. No, I googled it. It, it it's. Uh, expressions said of a clueless, rich-born person who believes he or she has had a record of accomplishment oh, or somehow the other earned way the privileges around. that come with being rich. Got it. It's the other way around. Okay, great. Yeah, like so never spin. mind. <laughs> okay, got it, got it, got it. So I had it backwards. So in this case, Percy Jackson is not starting on third base. Percy Jackson is starting at home or whatever the right thing here is uh this is why we don't do sports you're our sports person we decided that a long time ago <laughs> yeah and I, I just did the googling for us i'm doing oh, right, my good. job uh what i'm getting at here is i think percy jackson is already in trouble because it's an adaptation so it already carries a weight that this movie does not have to that being said this movie does enter into the long long far too often mind world of king arthur or robin hood stories of just British lore that it's <laughs> that we we keep telling. Um, so I, I think that's already something to consider is that if it's an adaptation, you've already got a little bit of trouble because you need to convince people that it's at least on par with your source material. So I, I, I don't, but I don't think that explains the whole thing. No, it doesn't. I think that something that I can say about the movies I liked like this, like this one and Shazam is that, and get this, they're wholesome, which I think like sums up so many of the things that we said today, right? Like some meaningful character work, like really caring about these characters as people. Then it's about grounding it enough that, you know, you feel that the stakes are real and that the things that they go through on an hour to hour basis matter and are, you know, kind of meaningful and not just, oh, why did we skip half a day um, for no reason? And then, of course, the most important things, which is that you got to balance that sense of, you know, deep mythos with, like, um, making sure that the character earns everything that happens in the plot. And it's not just, oh, yeah, you, you get this because you were born for it or that kind of right. stuff. Like, it's, it's a delicate balance of a series of, you know, sticks that are on fire or whatever on a tightrope uh, suspended at the top of a skyscraper. And for some reason, all of these movies tend to drop most of those things. And I think we mentioned so many of those like elements that are difficult to balance. But I think when you put them all together, what is the what would you say is the emotional sense you get? Because for me, I literally get wholesomeness and I get joy. 
And I wouldn't like in no world would I would would I say I watched the Percy Jackson movie and felt joy. I I also would not say that I felt wholesome. I'm not saying that like it's got to be an innocent movie, like devoid of any no, yeah. anger to be wholesome. Yeah. I think that kind of gets a bad rap on the internet. Like a wholesome meme can yeah. only make you smile. I think it can fully have real stakes and make you feel the weight of the world is still on all of our shoulders. But that belief and hope is real. Like I don't think Percy Jackson gives you any. Yeah, I think I don't disagree with that at all. I think the ones that I'm going to latch on to. I think it just it, it it's working better in my own brain is like sincere, and I really like the one you pointed mm. out of grounded, right? Because I, I think for the same reason, like wholesome is is really true. I just think wholesome is too often confused for other things. Like wholesome is kind of weaponized sometimes. Of like, yeah, a movie has to be wholesome in order to be a kids movie. Like I won't take my kids to see a non wholesome movie, for example. Um, and then what that means is you end up seeing Yogi Bear, which is just a nightmare film, uh, as opposed to focusing on sincerity, which is show your kids movies that are actually truthful. They're telling a truth and they're not they're not um, they're not talking down to them. They're not patronizing them. I think that's that's what I'm kind of focusing on a little bit there. But I, I think you're grounded argument i think that has a lot to do with it that's my that might be my number one contender because the ones i keep drawing myself to are for whatever reason i don't know if anyone watched this movie sorcerer's apprentice with nicholas cage uh and other people um uh uh, alfred molina fun fact for those who've never seen it uh i love this movie because i'm a sucker for stupid magic systems in movies (laughs) and nick cage and I don't know. It just works for me. It's it's not good. I'm not arguing it's good at all, but it's just a good trash movie for me. It's also why I love Jumper. Oh, my God. Pause our current conversation here. I forgot <laughs> to tell you. Uh, Steve Knight. Stephen Knight. He wrote Jumper. My absolute number one favorite uh, trash movie. Like my, my biggest guilty pleasure movie. No way. Hayden Christensen and uh, Rachel Bilson. It's what got them together. It's where they met. Uh, so that's my fun fact. Anyway, uh, Jumper is another good example of a movie like this where it's just a fun system of world rules and there's nothing else about it that's good. It's just, I don't know, I just like them. The whole point being, The Sorcerer's Apprentice is in no way grounded. Um, the entire thing is, is I, it, to me, it just feels like it's about being cool. It's like trying to just show off what they can do and the magic system and everything else. And I think what I'm really seeing is the difference between this and The Last Airbender, Sorcerer's Apprentice, Percy Jackson, Etc. And maybe more importantly, the similarity between this and Harry Potter. Harry Potter also had a budget of, you know, a mazillion dollars going for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that be and and you know, uh, uh, what's his face's ability, Chris Columbus's ability to create a world, which was to his credit incredible. Um, uh, 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 I think there is a degree to which. The fact that this movie is character-driven above all else is what stands out to me. Like, in those movies, you just don't care uh, what uh, Nicolas Cage is doing. Like, as in, it doesn't matter, like, what the... It doesn't matter what his arc is. You're not... That's not why you're, you're watching it. That's not why you care. I don't think you particularly care about Aragon or 
I don't even remember Chronicles of Narnia. His characters' names. They're British. Yeah, Edmund. Those kids. That's one. Yeah. Um, I don't think you particularly care about like what's going on with them and their journey. It's just about the plot, or it's just about the world, or it's just about what they're doing. You don't care that Jay Baruchel is trying to be a sorcerer. You just want to see hijinks. And I think that's what separates this one from those what I'm going to call lesser movies, like. It, it it's it is a lot less interested in what's happening and it's a lot more interested in how it's affecting its characters and that's what feels rare to me um i, I think that's the one i'm going to stick with the most i i just don't know i think harry potter does it and that's probably part of why it's successful i don't know a lot of other yeah. examples of movies where that's true like i i of this genre i mean i'm having yeah. a hard time even coming up with one that's that's as comparably interesting or fun to watch i i really don't have one no i don't either i i actually feel really good about the three pillars of making some of these some of making a movie like this successful being sincerity groundedness and character driven i think that sums up in so many ways all of the really special things about this movie i actually okay i have one one uh one posit here (laughs) one one Mm -hmm. suggestion which is, I would love for us to do an episode on this eventually. I don't know if you saw this movie, but this is another um, shout out for something that people should have watched and they just didn't. And I understand why. Did you see the Captain Underpants movie? Hell yeah, I watched the Captain Underpants movie. That movie is so good. It's hard to describe. <laughs> And I don't mean just like it by like it has an 87% of Rotten Tomatoes, which is so weird. Like it's so shocking in how good it is, right? Captain Underpants, everyone remembers this when we were kids, the comic books that your parents were not happy about buying uh, <laughs> that were at every Scholastic Book Fair. And again, like this is another example of a movie that you feel like just shouldn't like you're like okay well there's no way it's gonna be good it's literally the entire thing is just toilet humor it's always been toilet humor that's all it's gonna be it's i mean the villain and is a literal movie, electronic toilet yep literally like a, a evil scientist on Turbo a, a toilet monster toilet 2000 yep. or something yeah yep and that i remember watching that movie going like okay never mind i'm wrong about everything in life like you know what i just don't know things forget it <laughs> like i i'll never you know because that movie feels to me like an exact example of what we're talking about here of it's shockingly thematic and deep and it's character driven above all else, which sounds weird when you're talking about there being a giant mecha toilet, but it really is like it's it's about the character's journey and their emotional arc more than it's about how many jokes can we shove in and, and how many things can we put in here that like a kid's going to want to buy or whatever. Like it's it's just it's being led from a place of character first it's grounded and it's very sincere. That's a very sincere movie without being saccharine. I totally um, agree. Yeah. Which is really weird to say. And I know that's going to be hard for people to believe, but it's true. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think that so many movies like that, especially animated ones, try so damn hard to either convince the adults that the whole thing is a deep, deep adult metaphor for something much more adult yeah. adult. Or, and or, and or, they try to throw in so many, like, 
winky jokes for the parents to get. So it's like, I don't hope you're not falling asleep. Here's a joke for you that it yes, just completely yeah. forgets that actually movies do not actually have to be for adults. Like there are a significant percentage of people on this planet are literally kids and it is completely okay yeah. to make a sincere movie that is just for them. Like I, and I adults don't can enjoy to, that too. Exactly. And adults can enjoy yeah. that because you should not ideally lose sincerity or hope in your life. Yeah. Like it's it, being or enjoying the things that make a kid's movie a kid's movie is not an inherently bad thing unless you are a bad person. Like, that's a, that's a good way to put it, I think. And, mm-hmm. you know, just openly enjoying those things is a damn good thing, especially when it's a good movie that keeps your attention. So you don't need to be, you know, edgy for the sake of being a, like a, a, a jaded adult. And you can just enjoy the movie. <laughs> okay, so you, have, you had no idea how... Uh how apt that comment was going to be. You had no clue. You could not have known. I am full of ancient wisdom. How good of a segue you just created. Here's the final thing that I want to talk about in relation to this movie today. Like we said before, or how how I just recently said, there has been a a, a million King Arthur movies, especially lately. Like it feels like there's been a glut of them. Uh, Like you talked about in the beginning, this movie failed hard. Uh, Like a $50 million loss which sucks so bad. Like, yeah, that was pre-COVID. Always happens <laughs> like to the good ones. Yeah. It sucks. Um, it lost a lot of money. And I have a feeling part of that is because it really does feel like we've gotten so many uh, 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 British lore movies. It just does. Like, we've had, we've had uh, two, three different Robin Hoods, uh, I think, two, three, within the past... 20 years we've had at least two king arthurs if not more and this is just in movies right like you said that's not counting merlin the tv show robin hood the bbc show um let alone the older stuff right um uh, robin hood prince of thieves uh, original robin hood movie uh, excalibur which is responsible for a lot of i think popular arthur arthurian lore the sword in the stone disney's robin hood etc 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 uh, I have a feeling that has something to do with it, right? Like just seeing another movie that's like, guess what? It's King Arthur. I'm sure people were like, Jesus, not again. So I get that. Here's why that was an amazing segue. What you just said was you shouldn't have to be edgy, correct? Yes. Today's news, Zack Snyder <laughs> is developing a quote, faithful, unquote, retelling of King Arthur's legend. No. Faithful. Quotes around the word faithful. There was, you know, I I used to have a heart in my chest. There was a little bit left. And now it is just, it has flaked off Infinity War style and and left my body. You got snapped. You got blipped. Yep. Uh, I I wish um, I got blipped so I wouldn't have to see what eventually becomes (laughs) of that adaptation. I think I, that's what I mean. You just couldn't have known your segue was so was so wonderful. I, I can't describe how much that feels like the exact opposite of what we just talked about today. Like, the idea of a faithful King Arthur adaptation. What the hell does that even mean? What, are you going to bring him to life? It was never real. Like, what? Do, there is no such thing, A, as the King Arthur legend. There have been many, many, many retellings across many different versions. There's not one consistent thing. Just like there's not one Robin Hood story. It's a collection of, like, vocal and written tales over hundreds of years that have culminated in mostly drawing from like two to three sources in today's world right what are you talking about and b the end of the movie we watched for this episode literally puts forward like 
there, there's that uh, dialogue between him and Morgana, between Patrick Stewart and, and Rebecca Ferguson, where he says, uh, you know, like, we're basically old. It's probably time for us to move on. Like, it's basically time for them to step forward and take over because we got to let it go. And that, like, it felt like such a wonderful acknowledgement of, like, yeah, this is the kind of Arthur story we should be telling. Like, it should be different. It should be it's open open access like it's free do something new with it you know <laughs> like do yeah. something different and the news for today on today's episode which feels like destiny in a, in a very uh, the kid who would be king way it feels like destiny is that Zack snyder is doing a faithful adaptation of king arthur everything Zack snyder does these days just makes me want to groan for an hour on a couch under a blanket and not emerge yep and i i ooh, i mean there's just no way King Arthur's not attractive, probably post forty year old white male, right? Like the in the faithful adaptation, yeah. right? I mean, <laughs> that's for sure what we're gonna get, <sighs> right? Because yeah, that's what that means. I mean, there right? are so it's many sins with this. Dark. Yeah. It's gonna be really like, you know, it's gonna be dark because they want it to be medieval. They want it to be very like, oh, this is how it was. And it's going to be very dramatic because it is, you know, his stories are dramatic. Lancelot and Guinevere. Yeah, exactly. I just, I truly can't fathom how much that is not the point of what this movie that we're talking about today put forward. And it's, and I I think this movie's right. That's, that's, that's my end statement. I don't like when people so deeply misunderstand that the point of myths as a concept, like myths and legends, is, I mean... First of all, to bring out hope in people. And second, mm-hmm. to it's a free license for you to get crazy and creative and not bogged down with yep. realism because yep. realism never happened <laughs> with myths and legends. So this is I think it's just another entry in the scheme of like, why do we have a, a woman being raped in this story? Oh, because in the medieval times, women go, well, that's not yep. what this is. This isn't the medieval times. Myths never happen. Right. Slash they are deliberately, you know, a- adapted and readapted tales because they are meant to bring out exaggerated parts of humanity. And the whole point mm-hmm. is that you can't pull them back down because they exist up there. <laughs> Don't do that, Zack Snyder. <laughs> you are yep. committing the cardinal sin of messing with myths and legends. Don't take joy out of this world. Which is in antithesis to what this movie today put forward. So yeah. I feel like that's a, a great way to, a great note to end it on. <laughs> is the kid who would yeah. be king is going to be better than Zack Snyder's King Arthur. I, I would bet money on it right now. <laughs> Yeah, whenever he drops it, just um, watch this movie instead, and then we can all have a good yeah. time. Don't worry, we'll talk about it though, because <laughs> that's what we're here for. We're I here think to do we're kind we're kind of legally tied into these things now, so <laughs> we will yeah. do the Justice League cut, and we will do that one. So. There's two things this podcast talks about: the Joker and Zack Snyder movies. <laughs> Those are the two. Main I mean, things. we live in a society. <laughs> We live in a society. Yeah, we, we, we should do a mini episode on the Justice League trailer. That's a good idea. <laughs> I would love to. Okay, guys. Uh, Patreon content. I'm kidding. We put everything out for Patreon free. Patreon content. Perfect. Uh, all right. So that is The Kid Who Would Be King. You can find it on HBO Max. Uh, at least in the United States you can. I'm sure you can find it other places, other places. Um, uh, yeah. Can't recommend enough. Big old recommendation from... Uh, are you still watching? 
side recommendation, so, listen to the score when you're doing work. It's really good. Oh, yeah. It's good. It is good. We never talked about the fact that it's Andy Serkis's kid. Isn't that weird? Uh, <laughs> final that. note on this movie. It's Andy Serkis's son, like Gollum. Like, you know, the most prominent motion capture actor ever to work. That guy. Planet of uh, the Apes. Claw yeah. from Marvel. Planet of the well, Apes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's his son. Which is, I don't know. It's not important. It's just it's kind of thing. neat. It's just like, oh, there he is. Um, anyway, uh, what plugs do you have for us, Shalila, if any? Okay. I think our plugs should both be equally good things i don't want to kill the mood so my plug is and i really if you know me you've heard me mention this movie with every breath that i take but hey guys please go watch shazam just watch it if all nice, just yeah. watch it please go it's such a, a lovely movie it's very different from this because it's not it's not this yeah. it's a you know an equally f- joyful but it's a superhero movie but all i can say is that all of the positive emotions that i talked about personally feeling in this episode shazam also made me feel all of them so if you're looking for a good time and you watch this one and you're like wow i would love to keep the vibes going watch shazam preferably with family it'll be very meaningful or you know whoever is family to you with friends or with anybody it is good that's just a i i need to go back to that i think i've only seen it twice and i need to return more zachary levi is so good in it and yeah it's just fun it's really fun uh, I have a weird posit that I think only you're going to enjoy of anyone who ever listens to this podcast. I think the end credit scene of Shazam is supposed to be a parody of the end credit scene of The Amazing Spider-Man. That's my posit. I think it's I don't think it's like an accident how exactly how it's staged and who shows up. I very much think it's intentional. That's my belief. I think they're subtweeting that movie. I I um, like that. Again, no one will understand that but you, I don't think. Because <laughs> uh, who it's cares? <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, here's my plug. I'm plugging something that's been out for like a year and everyone's probably watched already, but whatever. That's how it goes. Uh, Alex and I just watched The Witcher on Netflix, which is the adaptation of the book series slash the video games, uh, which are from a, a Polish uh, fantasy author to my knowledge um i'm plugging this because a it was just good trashy smutty fantasy fun um (laughs) and b the reason i'm tying it to like today specifically is other than the fact that it reminds me very much of this in terms of like it's not interested in being like edgy it is very dark but not in a way of like game of thrones where it's trying to shock you it's more like a yeah the world's crazy huh (laughs) like it's just not like it's not really trying to be hardcore it just kind of is like it's not it's not pretending ever but here's why i'm really suggesting it i have never seen uh, a piece of media so adamantly bucking the trend of its like big masculine hardcore henry cavill who is the witcher uh, uh type character who is so deeply uninterested in violence like it's, it's not that he doesn't do violence in the show, but most of it isn't shown. Like, they ignore it half the time. They just, like, he basically, he's like a monster hunter. And he'll, like, the, the episode opens on him already having killed the monster. And he's like, yeah, that happened. So then the rest of the episode is, like, him having to emotionally process the effects of it. Or whatever. Like, dang it. Now there's, like, a moral quandary having to do with whether or not this thing is a monster or isn't a monster. And what do I do about it? As opposed to just, like big guy go kill things like it just isn't it's very Wonderful. much about his pursuit of nonviolence if he could get it 
and even not nonviolence, but like his pursuit of just, can you please leave me alone to make some money and hang out with my horse, who is my best friend, very evidently. Like, and that's it. And, and also someone who is deeply, deeply looking for love, like romantic partnership and companionship. I've just never seen a show do that with that kind of character. And it's really fascinating to watch how that plays out. So tying that to today's episode of movies or media that bucks the trend and showcases different uh, ways of dealing with conflict, um, The Witcher on Netflix. It is smutty and silly and fun. Everything in this episode is real feel-good content. I feel great about this. It is. This is a great episode. This is much better than last week. Like a much better, much happier feeling by the end of it than last week's episode (laughs) in which we were like, you know what sucks? Movies. We'll never go back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So uh, this has been Are You Still Watching? As always, uh, if you want to support us, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash AYSW. We would love if you did uh, because we actually figured out how to set up Patreon. Like it's actually correct now. So that's fun. Um, please feel free. We Everything we put out is for free, but we would love your support so that we can keep doing it and probably be better at it because um, we're yeah. growing. We're growing people. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at uh, AYSWpod where you can also find all of our uh, Twitter handles for both Shalila and I. Uh, where can they find our podcast, Shalila? I'm glad you asked. We can be found in wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. My personal favorite is Overcast. Do you use Overcast? This I, is not like a plug. Like I'm not I know pay what Overcast like is for I, I <laughs> yeah. spend some time setting us up there. But my personal favorite is Stitcher. I like it. Okay, interesting. I know about Stitcher. I just never use it. I used Overcast because I Apple. Ooh, I don't know if I should. Okay, there's a fruit-based company who has a podcast <laughs> platform that often doesn't work. In fact, it more often than not doesn't work. And I looked up alternatives, and the biggest alternative was like, people are like, just use Overcast. We swear to God, it'll work every time. And it really does. It's simple. It's easy. It gives me what I need. So, Because um, you should, if you have, have a, a smart device, like a Google Home or an Amazon Alexa, you should <laughs> yeah. also ask that to play our podcast because it oh, works. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, this has been yet another episode of Are You Still Watching? Uh, Thank you all for joining us on our journey to The Kid Who Would Be King. I'm sure we will have something else very fun coming to you soon. Uh, If you're interested, we have lots of movies that we've done. We also have a Disney series ongoing where Shalila watches Disney movies, and I uh, talk about them kind of uh, called (laughs) The Walt Discussions. and uh, well, those are those are the only series we have right now, right? We have so yeah. many things. I'm so proud of us. That's it. We're incredible. <laughs> what a note to end on. What a great movie. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, what a great movie. We're great. You're great. And we'll see you very soon. Yeah.